nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, and I'm doing the very thing that I hate. So now it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see that my members, my body, that's another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me held captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Here we are in a series of transformation, and I've got the wonderful topic of the body. How many of us feel the same type of angst that the Apostle Paul felt in those kind of verses? I know that just like Larry gave us this wholeness wheel from the very beginning, if I were to take a look at that and, and talk to God about how am I doing with my body in this journey of transformation, ah, I feel some of that angst. You know, it's interesting, over the last couple weeks of preparing this message, I feel like God has just like turned up the volume on my hunger and I've become like really aware that I have hunger. <laughs> I know that's silly, but I think that sometimes I fall asleep to my body. And I don't even realize that I have these kind of urges or cravings. And so as God's been showing me that I have this kind of hunger, you know where I go to fulfill it? The donut shop. Because fall is amazing. So I go get, a, you know, a half dozen donuts and I polish them off throughout the day great. I'm doing awesome. I'm, I should tell South Fellowship they should follow my example. <laughs> and then at night, I get the munchies, you know, and I'm like, oh, I've got, you know, lots of stuff in my refrigerator, but I really am in the mood for salt. So I've got that, that chips, and I'm going to polish off like half the bag of chips. Oh, that's not a good example either. And, and then I'm like, oh, I love the fall, and I really need a burst of caffeine. I need my brain to get awake, and so I'm going to run to Starbucks. I'm going to drive over there, and I'm going to get my pumpkin spice latte, and I'm going to satisfy my craving. And God's been showing me that I have these cravings, these yearnings, these urges, and it's really easy to go and satisfy them myself. It's easy because it's really accessible. I got food in my cupboards and in my refrigerator. I got a car. I can drive to the restaurant of my choosing or to the grocery store and, and go fill whatever that craving is. So I'm susceptible to, to just following and following the cravings that my body has and trying to satisfy them myself. Another interesting thing that's been happening is that God's been irritating me a little bit in my body. Uh, the very first day that I get to plan this sermon out, I go to the seminary and I open the door to go in the seminary and this burst, this gust of wind hits my face and I go to sit down and there's this like speck of dirt that is caught in my eye. And it's not in the eye that I can wink. So it's, it's in the eye that I can't wink, which means that if I'm closing this eye, the other eye closes too. <laughs> so 
spending the day trying to prepare this message on the body, and my eyes watering, and I'm getting super irritated. And the whole time, I'm not even thinking, like, thanks, God, for the body illustration. <laughs> I'm just thinking, get this thing out of my eye. <laughs> and then the next week comes around, and I'm going to put away this metal sign, and I'm kind of maneuvering it in the closet, and the base of it nicks the back of my heel. And at the moment, it just sort of pinched my heel, and it wasn't until later I got home, and I'm trying to walk on this, and I'm feeling a little uncomfortable, and I look a little closer, and there were metal shards that had entered my heel like little slivers, and these metal shards were like minuscule, like you couldn't even see them. And for two hours, my roommate and I are trying to dig these metal shards out of my body. And it is sending shooting pains up my leg. <laughs> and I am just cringing in pain. And all I want is to get rid of this pain. <sighs> and I wasn't thinking in that moment, thanks for that illustration, God. I was just thinking, I'm irritated and I really need help to get this stuff out of here. And then, you know, my immune system crashes, and so I've got sinus stuff and my sore throat, and, and my body is not always doing what I want it to do. And, and I realized that in our formation, you know, I, I was irritated, I was selfish and self-focused. I wasn't using this for my formation. But who really has taught me how to use my body for my formation? I don't know. You know, I think that there's a whole big void of information and teaching on the body. And so when there's a void of information, we fill it. And we go to perhaps the latest, you know, website or the we see the magazines on the side of as we check out to get our groceries. And we look to culture to give us the answer, to fill that void. And what I think that the culture is telling us is that the body must be perfect. Right? I mean, you think, you see all these airbrushed images and we want our bodies to look a certain way. And I'm certain that many of you ladies today came in and you covered your face with some makeup to make it look a little bit more perfect. Right? But the problem is if we listen to that message that our bodies are supposed to be perfect, we wind up looking in the mirror and feeling dissatisfied. Oh, I woke up with a zit this morning. Great. You know? Oh, these wrinkles keep coming. The gray hair keeps coming. My body keeps disintegrating. What is happening? I have pain. I have irritations. It's not the body that I want or the body that's perfect. And maybe something even more serious happened to our body. Maybe we were, maybe we were, we were abused, or we use our body to abused. That's not perfect anymore. So we wind up stuck in shame if we think our bodies are supposed to be perfect. And another message that our culture tells us to fill this void is that our bodies must perform, right? How much money do we pay people to get their bodies in shape and get to the prime? ultimate perfect form and best achievement so that they can go ahead and compete against other teams around the world and we give them honor and praise and glory for their performance. 
But again, the problem is that when we start telling ourselves that our body's got to perform, we got to do this. What happens when we're born with a physical ailment, a disability? We can't perform to the level that this beautiful athlete looks like. What if we're experiencing chronic pain and we're, we're not able to get to that level? Now we just feel like a failure. And then if we want to fill the void and we want to go to our friends who know Jesus, we want to show up at church and we want to understand what do we do with our body? What, what, how am I supposed to think about the body and my transformation? I don't know about you, but it seemed like when I was growing up that the body was our problem. You know, you read those passages from the Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 7, and it seems like the body is the thing that so easily entangles you, the thing that you can't get rid of, the thing that leads you into sin and holds you captive to sin. And yet, the, the church tells you that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the conclusion is that we make a whole laundry list of do's and don'ts with our body. We say, don't, don't, don't drink, don't smoke, don't have sex before marriage, don't go dirty dancing. You know, that's what I was taught. And, and then it was like, do, do, eat healthy, exercise, take care of your body. You know, that's how we treat it, like the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's the end of the story. But in the end, I feel like it's still a problem. And today, I want to propose to you that your body is not designed to be perfect. That's false. Your body was never made to just perform at the top caliber of excellence. Your body is not even the problem. But your body can be offered to God. Look at what Paul says in Romans 12. This is a couple chapters after his frustration with his body. He says, of all the things, this, this pivotal moment in chapter 12, he says he appeals to us. He urges us. He begs and pleads us that we can look to what God has done for us and present our bodies as living sacrifices to him, holy and acceptable to God. He says this is spiritual worship. So instead of thinking of our bodies as meant to be perfect, meant to perform, or to be, or really that that's the problem, they actually could possibly accompany your soul and become your greatest asset on the journey of transformation. Let me say that again. Your body is designed to accompany your soul and become its greatest asset on the journey of transformation. You see, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created the heavens to be a dwelling place, and he created the earth to be a dwelling place. And on that earth, we zoom in a little further, and he creates the sea, and he creates the land to be two more dwelling places. 
and we zoom in even further, and I picture God getting down on his hands and his knees and his creation, and he starts to pull the, the sand and the, the clay of the earth together, and he forms it with a head. He adds some weird earlobes and a nose and a mouth and a, and a body, maybe a belly button. I'm not totally sure. But, but he shapes this body. And then it says that he breathes. He even comes closer. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living being, a living soul. This is incredible that our souls, the breath of life that we have been given, has been created to be embodied, created to have a dwelling place. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And I've sort of been wrestling with this particular quote because, yes, I know that we've been given a body and a soul because I know that one day our bodies will go to the grave. The consequence for sin is death. And therefore, our bodies are going to go back to the earth and they're going to disintegrate. And yet our souls can live on. So I know that there's a distinguishment between soul and body. But I, when I look around here, I don't know where your body ends and your soul begins. Because what I see here in the room is embodied souls. And so if I was going to put a quote up here, we'll just choose this. <laughs> when God first breathed life into dust, he gave one man's soul an intimate partner. It's called the body. That each and every one of you is an embodied soul. And that your body is actually a partner with you in your whole life. And so that's why I think that your body is designed to actually accompany your soul, to be its, its expressive self. I mean, imagine if we were all to show up here and it was just our souls. Got any imagination for that? <laughs> I don't know how we would interact. I don't know what we would do. I couldn't give you a handshake. I couldn't, I couldn't smile or, or do, give any. My soul wouldn't have like the ability to express itself. So I think it's a beautiful thing that we are embodied souls. And so your body is accompanying your soul. And I think that it's its greatest asset on the journey of transformation. And today we're going to look at Romans 12, verse 1, as our anchor text. Because here Paul urges us to present our bodies, physical bodies, as living sacrifices to God. So as long as we have breath in our lungs and we are living, as long as our heart is pumping and our brain is working, we are to offer our bodies to God as living sacrifices, as embodied 
souls. And the two words that describe, that he describes how we do that is holy and acceptable. I want to first look at the fact that we are to present our bodies when we are alive as acceptable to God. That means our bodies are an acceptable partner with us for learning the way of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done this challenge of thinking about all the ways that your body is super cool. <laughs> if I were to give you a piece of paper in an hour, I don't think, I think you would have run out of paper and you would run out of time because our bodies are fabulous. If you think about how many systems that are running inside of us, we have a skeletal system, a muscular system, a digestive system, thank the Lord. We have, we have a respiratory system. All of these things that are working together, keeping us alive and keeping us embodied. And I actually think that it's really pretty cool that we're three-dimensional. Like that there's a place where Yvonne starts and where I stop. Because then I can start to interact with other things. I can go to the mountains on a hike and I can look up at the grandeur of the mountains and I can see how small I am. There's, there's relation because I'm three-dimensional. There's also ways that my body is instinctual. I mean, there are things that happen in my body that trigger things to make sure that I survive. You remember that hunger I was talking about? Right. <laughs> that keeps us alive. Our bodies are so cool. And as long as we, we give our bodies what they need to live and we nourish them, they will succeed. And as long as we keep the things out, like the specks of dust out of our eye and the metal shards out of our heels, you know, then they can keep functioning, right? So, and as long as we give our bodies time to rest and recover and to come back into, into full strength, like my immune system. My immune system is, was actually working for me. Man, I didn't even realize how much I was taking my body for granted until he shows it to me. I love how when we start thinking about the body, that we spring out in worship. The psalmist springs out in worship when he starts to think about how cool his body is. He says, for I'm formed in my inward parts. God, you knit me together when I was even just an in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it well. There are some amazing things that God has wired into our bodies that we can be thankful for. And you have been given the body that God designed to give you. Now some of us don't think that our bodies are that cool. Some of us actually have an attitude of disgratitude. <laughs> we're not very thankful for the bodies that God has given us. Maybe we're irritated. Maybe we're, we're frustrated. We feel stuck. But I'm drawn to this story about Nick Vujicic. He plays a role in this short film called The Butterfly Circus. And when he begins... He, you find Nick in a freak show. 
He believes that he is cursed by God. He has been afflicted by not having any arms or any legs. And so all he feels that his body is good for is to be in the freak show and to be laughed at and mocked. And it's not until one day where another ringmaster and circus master comes in and he finds Mick so fascinating. And he gets down right close to his face and he just looks at Nick and says, you are magnificent. But in that moment, Nick spits right back in, the, in Mr. Mendez's face because he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe that his body has been made magnificent. But this takes Nick down a whole journey of realizing that even though maybe he doesn't have any arms or any legs and, and his trial in his body feels so big and so large, but he learns that he actually has the ability to swim. And so he joins a new circus, the butterfly circus, and he's able to show and demonstrate that he can swim, even though he doesn't have any arms or any legs. Mr. Mendez says that the greater the, the problem that you think that you have, the more glorious the triumph. And it demonstrates how beautiful it is when we use all the parts of us the warts, the weird parts, the parts that we're frustrated with, and we accept them to be a gift from God, and we turn them to use them for his glory. If you know anything about Nick's life in real life, he continues to use the voice that God has given him and his own body to give glory to God. And he shares in major conferences around the globe and he continues to worship God and to triumph for his kingdom because he's accepted his body. And, he, and he's accepted the things that he is limited in and the things that he has to offer to the world. So you and your body is an acceptable partner for learning the way of Jesus. You are magnificent. And your body can be used no matter what color, what shape, what size, how much you can function or not function. You can use your body for the glory of God. The next word that I've been meditating on when it comes to the body is the fact that Paul says that we can present our bodies as holy. Holy. My body's not holy. In and of itself, my body feels all that same kind of angst that, that the Apostle Paul feels. That sometimes I feel captive to my body. Because if I'm honest, my body is not perfect, sinless, pure, clean. So how in the world can we present our bodies as holy? Well, it's not because of what we do. You know, what we do is laid out in the beginning of Paul's argument. In Romans chapter 1, he talks about those that don't know God. He says, if we don't know God, what we're going to do with our bodies, what we're prone to do is do all the things that are abominable to God. 
We're going to satisfy every craving, every passion, everything with, with what our bodies can access on this world. And so God gives us up as humans to our sin. He gives us up to our impurity, to the dishonoring of our bodies. He's like, if you want to exchange the truth of, of my goodness and holiness for a lie, you can do that. And you can serve creation and you can serve the physical things. And yet in chapter 2, he also talks about the fact that there are some people that use their body, especially their mind and their heart, to actually condemn those people for doing all the impure, abominable things to God. And he says, you know what? Those who know God, you're still guilty of the same kind of unholiness because you're using your mind to create slander, malice, envy, deceit. He goes on and on and on. And he says, you're guilty too. We all stand guilty. There is no one of us that in and of ourselves, our bodies are holy. No, all have sinned. We fall short of the glory or holiness of God. So we can't do this in and of ourselves. We can't just find transformation in and of ourselves. The holiness and the word holy in this verse reminds us that we have a holy and perfect and sinless and pure God who decided that he would come in a womb. He would be birthed out into the world and he would enter physical flesh and blood. He would go through his weird, awkward adolescence and he would start to grow into his body and he would become more aware of his manliness. And he would enter a, a wilderness time in his life where he would feel temptation upon temptation upon temptation to feed his hunger and his passion and his pride. And yet he would pass through that with perfect righteousness. He would go through all the way until he was mocked and beaten and hurt, wounded, until he allows his body to be nailed physically to a tree and his body would breathe its last breath. His lungs stopped breathing for you. And then he allowed his body to go down into the grave and to start decaying, to experience every bit of humanness, every bit of physical life on this earth, and that he would do it, live it in righteousness and in holiness and in perfection. Not just that he would live perfection, but that he would rise from the dead and that he would actually receive a new and glorified body and he would make it an opportunity for us that our spirits could have come alive to him. So even while we were sinners in our unholiness, Christ physically died for us. And it says in 1 Peter 3.18 that Christ suffered once for sins. He was righteous throughout his entire human life for our unrighteousness, the ways that we fall short. 
and that he put to death in the flesh unrighteousness in order that he would come alive and invite us to come alive in the spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, this is good news because we don't have to be held captive to our bodies and our embodied life anymore. You see, our spirits have come alive and now our bodies can be told a different story. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us if we believe and trust in him as our savior, as our Lord, as our guide and our mentor on this journey toward transformation. Which means that that kind of same power has allowed us to tell our bodies that they don't have to be in the driver's seat anymore. They don't have to have the last story. That actually they've been made holy. You and your body has been made holy because of Jesus' holiness, not because of yours. So here we are presenting our bodies to God as, as acceptable. We say, God, you gave, you gave me this body. I can give it to you for your glory. God, you gave me holiness, and I can give you my holiness. And he says, this is spiritual worship. Ladies and gentlemen, because you have been given a body, you have been given the, maybe the best worship partner that you ever asked for. There's this, there's this partnership between your soul and your body. And they are worship partners in this life as you live out spiritual worship. You know, sometimes the body is not a very good worship partner. Maybe they're standing there and they're really out of tune. Sometimes our bodies, I think, are out of tune. And as long as our bodies are leading worship, it's going to be really hard to listen to. <laughs> because it's like nails on the chalkboard kind of out of tune. So as long as our bodies are are out of tune with God's righteousness and holiness. And so we're just living out our cravings and we're, we're doing the things out of just finding our own solutions to our, our desire and our passions. Maybe we're, we're continually to get angry and frustrated and, and irritable or we're satisfying our cravings in ways that we know are unrighteous. It's not going to sound very good in our life. Sometimes I think our bodies are in the driver's seat and they're taking us on the bus to where they want to go and they're doing their thing, right? But what Jesus did for us is he made our souls come alive and now we can say, excuse me, body, you, uh, you can get out of that driver's seat. <laughs> or maybe even better illustration is like, excuse me, body, I need you to be my Uber driver, and you're going to take me to where I want to go. <laughs> my, the soul has the freedom now to tell the body what to do, to say, you don't have to go that way anymore. I actually want you to choose what's right, what's good, what's honorable, what's holy, what's actually going to help your body and your soul come alive. 
In Romans 6, Paul says, do not sin, do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make it obedient to its passions. You can present your members as sin, as instruments for unrighteousness. It's possible that your body can run the show and run it in a way that's very unpleasing and headed in the wrong direction. Instead, he says, present your bodies to God. For those who have been brought from death to life, your members, your body can be used for righteousness. And actually, our bodies don't have to be a bad worship partner. They could be a really, really helpful worship partner because they can take us on a new direction. You know, it's possible for us to train ourselves in godliness. It says here that bodily training is of some value, and it is for only body health sake. But when we connect this to godliness, our bodies can help us train in the way of righteousness. You see, our bodies are pretty cool in that they are, also, they are very habitual. Our bodies have muscle memory. So they can actually remember the ways that we want them to remember. But sometimes getting us to that point can be kind of tricky and difficult. You remember if you know how to ride a bike, uh, if you remember first learning how to ride a bike and you, and you first get on and you're having to balance, you know, you got to figure out where your arms go and how they move and then uh, your legs are up and down and you're just trying to figure it out. It's real awkward. But after you start training in the way of riding a bike, you start to learn and it's just automatic. You jump on and, and you've got the balance and you know where your hands and your arms are going to go. That's what happens when we connect our bodies with the way of righteousness. You know, sometimes it's awkward when we're first learning to read the Bible. We don't know where to go or what to do, but... But if we start training ourselves in, in connecting with God in that way, he can start to speak to us. Maybe if we're first learning how to pray, and it's awkward, and it's weird, and we don't really know what to say, and yet we start doing it. Maybe we need to train our bodies in, in loving others, and by, by coming in to church and, and giving people hugs and, and physical affection, Maybe, maybe what it looks like to train is to, to use our bodies to start making it a practice to kneel down in prayer or to connect our bodies when we, try, when we try to worship. You know, I think it's really interesting that I grew up in a church where everyone stood like this and maybe they had their hands on the pew. It's probably right. But they, had, they were trying to have this spirit connection with God. And there was, like, no connection to their body. But what if we started to use our body in prayer? We started to, to put our hands out and say, God, there's something I need to receive from you. I need, I need your goodness. I need your holiness. I need, I need your love. And I need what you say that I am. What if we started to, to put down the things that I don't want these things to be a part of my life? I rid myself of them. I, I rebuke them. And I use my body to try that. 
What if I lift my hands and, and I try on my tippy toes to touch God? <laughs> you are so big and so strong. I mean, we do this with little kids, right? And then some, somewhere along the line in our, our maturity, we let go of our body and we fall asleep to it. But what if, what if we were to start to awake to our bodies in ways that actually are helpful to our life and our transformation with God? What if we were to start to take care of our bodies and it actually worked to take care of our soul? We started listening to those twists in our stomach and we said, ooh, I need to deal with that. What if we, you know, pay attention to the pounding of our heart or irritation and tightness in our chest or the stress and tension we feel in our shoulders and we started taking those things to God? What if we started paying attention to the input, the things that are, we're putting into our bodies, what we're listening to, what we're looking at, what we're eating, and we started giving our bodies the things that actually will help it train in godliness? And then, what if we were to get, get away from the things that don't help us? The output piece here is what's coming out of your life? What are you doing with your body? Are you using it for creativity and for kingdom work? Or what's coming out? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it irritation? Is it a whole bunch of thinking and overthinking? What's coming out? Is that healthy? And then are you giving yourself time to rest? You know, the practice of Sabbath can be kind of awkward at first too when we don't know how to take some time off or we don't know how to get to a place of stillness. And so we may need to train in this. But when, when you take care of your body, it's a partner with your soul. So, so that is soul care. And this is why we talk so much about practicing things here at South. It's one of our values. We want you to practice the way of Jesus because we believe that as you practice with your body, it starts to help your soul practice the things that make it come most alive. So I've got several practices with you. As you use your body to accompany your soul, allowing it to be your greatest asset on the journey of transformation, here are some ideas. Maybe for you today, you need to leave here and you need to go spend some time accepting the body that God's given you. Maybe you've had a lot of shame throughout your life and, and you can practice accepting it, receiving the body and becoming grateful the thing, for the things that you can do with your bodies. The, the thing that you, the capabilities that he actually has placed inside of you, even with your limitations. Maybe for you, fasting could be one way that you could wake up the conversation between the soul and the body. Because when you fast and you start to not give your body something that it needs, it starts to tell you that. And then you can say, body, I'm in charge now. Uber driver, you're going to take me where, you, where I tell you to go. You're going to choose righteousness because it's possible. Maybe you need to leave here and you need to start exploring ways that you can start praying with your body. Maybe 
using your arms, using your chin, lifting your eyes, using and engaging in your body as you communicate with God. But the last practice we're actually going to have time to do today, and this is because this practice was given to God, to us, from Jesus himself. And this is the practice of communion, or the Lord's Supper. And you know what this emphasizes? Jesus was in a body. And what he did in his body was for our holiness. And so today, I'm actually going to have you come forward for communion and take the body and the blood, representing the incarnation, that Jesus was flesh and he was blood, and that he offers his righteousness to you in order that your spirit might come alive and make your body obedient to righteousness and to his way. That's how we transform in the way of Jesus, and we use our body to do that. So it's my hope and prayer that, that you can receive the body and blood physically and that that can connect to your soul spiritually as well. One additional element that we're going to add today is that we're going to have some body worship. I've invited three dancers to join us as our communion music. So as you come forward uh, just take a look at the different ways that they're able to use their body to worship God and the ways that they're connecting their body with their soul, with him. <laughs> 